When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You got that rocker, MJ in the house, otherwise known as Marty Genetti. You know how we do rock and roll, starting and strolling, and we're doing it right here on the Rundown Wrestling Network. Keep on rocking. Yeah. <laughs> Survivor Series. My name is Sal. I am your host. And today we're going back to 1996. November of 96, a time very critical for the then WWF, as they were been getting their ass kicked by WCW and the NWO. However, would this pay-per-view help turn the corner. Well, it definitely planted some seeds that we saw grow in 97. But that being said, let's dive right in, take a look at Survivor Series. We begin with a fucking terrible cheesy video to open. Uh, For some reason, all the clips are sped up. Like someone did the times two on the playback. Uh, for absolutely no reason. It's like watching a Looney Tunes cartoon, but with WWF wrestlers. By the way, we also zip through the streets of New York. It looks cheap and pretty Bush League. It also gives me a title sequence for a bad sitcom in the 90s kind of vibe. Just kind of saying. Uh, if we are live on pay-per-view in late 1996, and we are in New York City, then we have to be at the home base itself. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Madison Square Garden. Tonight, Survivor Series is presented by Karate Fighters. Remember those things, kids? No, of course you don't. Also tonight, Vince McMahon is joined on commentary by Jim Ross and Jerry the King Lawler. Oh, it's uh, worth mentioning that I found out as the show went on, this is heel Jim Ross. And this is Lawler for one match, because then he has to go be in a match. So, uh, heel Jim Ross on commentary. It's not good. Definitely not 
good. Oh, by the way, why was Jim Ross a heel? We'll get into it a little bit later. But let's begin with match number one. Owen Hart, the British Bulldog. Rundown's favorite son, Marty Jannetty, and Leaf Cassidy versus Henry Godwin, Phineas Godwin, and Doug Furness and Philip LaFon. Who? Owen and Bulldog are the tag champs, and Furness and LaFon are making their WWF debut. On pay-per-view, no doubt. Uh, we are told repeatedly that they are a big deal in Japan. Uh, thank God that, that was communicated to me because it definitely mattered to me in 1996. <laughs> Meanwhile, Phineas Godwin spits straight up in the air, catches it with his hands, and then slicks his hair back with his own spit. Gross, dude. Even JR makes fun of the pig farmer from Arkansas for that one. Now let's talk about this match. Well, it's it's really fucking boring. In fact, it's the first time a crowd's been killed at Survivor Series within the first ten minutes. And this is New York. They are not not happy with about this. Uh, but they also have no fucking interest in this match. So it's not like they're booing. It's like they're standing around. If they if this was present day, they'd all be on their phones. Uh, almost at, ex- almost at five minutes exactly, we get rapid pinfalls. Henry Godwin pins Janetti with a slop drop. Owen runs in and hits good old Hank with a spinning heel kick to eliminate him. Bulldog hits the running powerbomb on Phineas, so now both Godwins are gone. And Philip Buffon hits a second rope reverse suplex on Leaf Cassidy and eliminates him. We are down to your pretty basic two-on-two match. Furnace pins Bulldog with a sunset flip, and finally we get some reaction from the crowd, because they pop for that. After all, you get a pinfall on the tag champs, especially the Bulldog. That leaves us with the Blackheart himself, Owen Hart. Owen fights well, but even more impressive is that Owen bumps and sells his ass off for the two new guys. Furnace hits a release German suplex, and that will get us the win. So the match that got better when it was just Owen and the Bulldog versus Furnace and LaFont uh, goes to the new guys. Credit to Owen for making these guys look like a million bucks. And uh, by the end of it, I think the crowd was starting to warm up to Phyllis and LaFont a little bit. They were They were respectful that they could take out the tag champs in that fashion. After the match, we head to a pre-tape from Mankind and Paul Bear. Think back to Perry Lime. Think back to with his last dying gasp, how the Undertaker came to life. It doesn't bother me, because I know whatever form you take, Undertaker, you'll be crawling with your gasping breaths down the aisle at Madison Square Garden, and I will stop you. Like the cockroaches I used to call dinner. And just like those lovely insects, Survivor Series, Undertaker. I'm going to eat you alive! I'm going to eat you alive! Yeah, yeah, yeah! 
Mankind actually cutting a pretty good promo here. Match number two in a feud that has spanned most of 1996. Mankind versus The Undertaker. In a match where Paul Bear is suspended above the ring in a shark cage. Also added stipulation, if Undertaker wins, he gets five minutes alone with Paul Bear. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the end of 1996, Taker had changed his look about three or four times this year alone. Tonight, not only do we have prison tier Taker, we also have Taker with uh, his gear, but in leather. So, like, the weird cut-off shirt and black pants, but it's leather. And uh, bat wings. He has devolved into bat wings. He also descends down from the rafters. Hmm. Yeah, it's not, it's not really working for me. Uh, this is the first time, by the way, anyone's seen The Undertaker since he lost the Buried Alive match a whole month ago. Boy, those, uh, those casket slash Buried Alive matches don't take people out the way they used to. Also, first time in a month and you come down from the rafters doing your best Gene Simmons impression. Cause you thought that was a good idea. Okay. Paul Bear doesn't want to go in the shark cage. I know. I'm shocked. Uh, but after Taker gets in the ring and charges after him, Paul Bear backs up and cowers in the corner of the shark cage. Uh, and they close the door and up he goes. Mankind attacks Taker before the bell, as Mankind is one to do. We get a really nice back and forth brawl. Uh, but at this point in 96, we've already seen a boiler room brawl and a buried alive match between these two. So this is basically kind of underwhelming. At one point, Mankind does get the mandible claw on Taker. Now remember, <laughs> throughout this entire year, anytime Mankind's gotten that mandible claw on the Undertaker, it's usually game over. Taker will pass out, get counted out, whatever. Uh, but because it's a pay-per-view... Taker, Taker not only doesn't tap, he then, um, he's in it for a good, like, three or four or five minutes. And then he comes all the way back and breaks it with a choke slam. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> he had you dead to rights. We've been led to believe that this mandible claw is dead to rights. And yet you just stand up and choke slam him. Okay. Uh, very soon after, Taker catches Foley in the corner and turns it into a tombstone for the win. Yes! Yes, Undertaker wins! He will now have five minutes to beat the shit out of Paul Bear. They lower the cage. And just as Taker opens the door, he is attacked by the Executioner. Uh, remember that guy? Don't feel bad, no one does. Uh, Paul Bear and Mankind scurry away, and Taker does not get his hands on Paul Bear. False advertising. Taker instead chokeslams the Executioner, 
and then looks disappointed into the camera. Don't worry, Undertaker, I'm disappointed as well. Out next is the diva of the 90s. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Sunny. Back when she still looked good. And before she had a record. Uh, but let's go backstage where Doc Hendricks is with the heels from our, for our next match. Uh, they promised victory! Yay, heels. Speaking of that match, match number three, Intercontinental Champion himself, the Blue Blood Triple H. Jerry the King Lawler, Gold Dust, and Jailbird Crush, versus the Wild Man Mark Marrow, the Stalker Barry Windham. Yep, it was this match. And the man making his debut tonight, son of Rocky Johnson, Rocky Maivia. Also, there needs to be a fourth guy because Mark Henry got injured, but that's going to be a secret. So when we get to the ring, Mark Marrow introduces the fourth man and says he had a revelation, which happens to be the name of the new Yellow Python that Jake the Snake Roberts has. And sure enough, out comes... Fat as shit. Completely out of shape. Shouldn't still be wrestling in 1996. Jake the Snake Roberts. Jake throws revelations in the ring, and everyone clears out like a bad Royal Rumble. Oh, I would like to bring up that this is the year that Jerry Lawler and Jake Roberts had their feud where Lawler made fun of him for being a drunk. (sighs) Those were uh, good times. If no one's ever seen that, if you're too young to remember Jake Lawler, I'm sorry, Jake Roberts and Jerry Lawler feuding and Lawler making fun of him being an alcoholic, all you have to do is watch what Jericho did when he fought Punk at WrestleMania 28 and the whole build for that, and it's basically the same shtick. Like down to pouring fucking alcohol in his mouth. But I digress. Also, that explains why Sonny is on commentary. Because Lawler's in this match. Um, And by the way, I don't know if this was shtick, but heel Jim Ross decides that now's a good time to proclaim to the world that he hates Sonny and thinks that she's a stupid whore. He doesn't say those exact words, but he insults her at every single chance he gets. In fact... Jim Ross and Sonny spent most of this match arguing, so it's a terrible dynamic with Vince in the middle. Oof. Lawler, who despite being six years older than Jake at this point, is in far better shape. Lawler makes fun of Jake for missing a punch and thinks he has Jake on the ropes, so of course Lawler is snatched and spiked with a DDT and becomes the first to be eliminated. You deserved it. Then Goldust hits the curtain call on the stalker, and he's eliminated. And from what I can tell, he was eliminated right back out the door. Like, I think that was the last time we saw him until he ended up being uh, Blackjack Wyndham 
with uh, JBL over there. Also, you could tell the stalker stopped trying because he stopped painting his face in camo and he stopped wearing, like, his outfit, his stalker outfit. Instead, he has, like, a WWF t-shirt on. That's it. It just has the WWF logo. It's the most generic, crappy. I mean, at least he got eliminated by, by Goldust. At least those two have history, right? Not that they ever tapped into that. Uh, let's see here. Afterwards, the heels get a ton of heat on Miro. Roberts distracts Helmsley, and Mark Miro hits a beautiful top rope moonsault onto Hunter for the three count. Soon after, Miro tries a flying plancha over the top rope. Uh, but Goldust pushes Crush out of the way, and Miro goes splat on the outside. Crush drags a lifeless Mark Miro into the ring, and he hits the hard punch for the pin. Speaking of the hard punch, Jake comes in, and Crush hits him with the hard punch and eliminates him. Of course, when, when Crush hits Jake, and Jake sells for the next five minutes holding his chest and rolling around on the floor... You legit worry that Roberts is going into cardiac arrest. You might have been. Who knows? Uh, but no, no. He, thankfully, he does get up and slowly makes his way to the back. So maybe just narrowly avoided the heart attack. Uh, Rocky Maivia is now by himself against Crush and Goldust. Oh, no. Whatever will he do? <laughs> He'll get the advantage. Uh, when Goldust hits a low blow behind the ref's back, Goldust then holds Rocky up for a heart punch, but Rocky ducks, and somehow, even though it's not a punch to the face, it's a punch to the chest, uh, Crush hits Goldust instead. Rocky follows up with a running cross body on Crush, and this eliminates him. Maivia quickly hits the stupid shoulder breaker on Goldust for the win. Your winner and sole survivor, Pineapple Head himself, the Blue Chipper, the third generation superstar, Rocky Maivia. All three commentators then spend the next five minutes blowing Maivia. I expect that kind of behavior from Sonny. It's extremely gross when JR and Vince do it. Then let's go to a video package of Bret Hart returning to the World Wrestling Federation. This will be Bret's first match back in 96 since losing the belt to Sean at WrestleMania 12. During this package, we also see the rise of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Specifically, his obsession with Bret Hart. Hey, Steve, what'd you think about Bret Hart? Steve Austin, notwithstanding the special stipulation that had been added to the matchup in seconds, you are going to face the legendary Bret the Hitman Hart, the excellence of execution. The winner gets a title shot. It's seconds away now. You're set to face Bret Hart. And you think that I'm supposed to be intimidated by the way you build him up and talk about stipulations, don't you? Just don't even say a word, son. Everybody talks about the best there is, the best there was, all the other crap. The excellence of execution. Rip cliches are cliches, and an ass whipping is an ass whipping, and that's exactly what you're going to get tonight at the hands of Stone Cold Steve Austin, and that's the bottom line. Do you hear that fucking pop from Madison Square Garden? 
the loud talking, no bullshit, ass kicking Steve Austin is on a rocket to the top of this business, and you can see it even as early as late '96. Match number four: Bret Hart versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. Now, as popular as Austin is getting, we still get a thunderous reaction for the excellence of execution in Madison Square Garden. After Brett gets in the ring, we are told the winner of this match will be the new number one contender for the WWF Championship. And that they will receive that title shot next month at In Your House. Not sure about the name, which In Your House it was, we'll just call it Beware of Low Buy Rates. These two are happy to give us a classic wrestling match. Mind you, this was before Owen broke Austin's neck, so Austin still was one of the most technically sound wrestlers in the world and had not yet switched to a brawling style. That being said, you can only describe Austin's skill and technique in this match with one word, and that would be stunning. Despite the technical prowess of both individuals, we get a very physical matchup. Um, both guys brought it. They beat the fuck out of each other. Everything looked great. After a real intense back and forth towards the end, Austin locks Brett in the Million Dollar Dream. Brett kicks off the turnbuckle and launches himself backwards over Austin, a la what he did to Piper at WrestleMania 8. And this gets the three counts. Holy shit, what a match. Now, at this point, this was only the second time I had ever seen Bret Hart utilize that finish. First one, like I said, WrestleMania 8 versus Piper. And then this one here in late 96. So we're talking four and a half years apart. Great. That's how you keep a move and a finish special. Instead of the way it is today, where I've seen it probably 14 times in the past two years. In both companies. Uh, Brett comes off looking like a genius instead of a one-trick pony if he did that too often. And they did it. This match, I think, is the match. I understand what King of the Ring did for Stone Cold Steve Austin when he cut the Austin 316 promo. Cold hard fact that a lot of people choose not to remember. Austin did fucking jack all nothing after King of the Ring. But I feel like this match uh, really propelled him to the top of the card. Great stuff from both guys. Austin came this close to winning. He just kind of screwed himself in the end. Uh, after the match, we hear from the psychotic Sid Justice. Oh, excuse me. He's now Psycho Sid. There's no justice here. He promises to do anything and everything to walk out tonight as the new WWF champion. Then, the brand new Hall of Fame inductee, Captain Lou Albano, comes out to join the Spanish commentary team. Apparently, Lou Albano got inducted to the Hall of Fame last night. There was no video, there was no fanfare, there was no night before WrestleMania. This was long before the Hall of Fame was really a thing of importance. So at this point, we have the rap stylings of PG-13. So out comes the Nation of Domination. The Nation at this point consisting of Farouk and a bunch of associates. It's Farouk, Clarence Mason, PG-13, and a bunch of other guys in suits. Very Louis Farrakhan. 
obviously. Um, but they don't even have Savion Crush yet. So I, I, I guess this is like the very beginning. Uh, tonight, Fruk teams with Razor Ramon. But Sal, you say, Razor Ramon left the WWF. He went to WCW and as Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, the NWO would run roughshod all over WCW. How could Razor Ramon be at the Survivor Series? Well, the problem is this is not the man known as Scott Hall. This is what we used to call fake Razor. Um, this is the guy that JR brought in along with fake Diesel, who is, who is Glenn Jacobs, aka Kane. Uh, JR tries to defend this poor jobber. I mean, Razor. Saying that he's younger, he's stronger, he's faster, and all this other fucking crap. But the problem is, you can't defend this nonsense. You really can't. Speaking of nonsense, match number five, fake Razor, fake Diesel, fake Louis Farrakhan parody, and fake King Kong Bundy, a.k.a. WWF Vader, versus Flash Funk, Savio Vega, Yokozuna, and Superfly Jimmy Snuka for some god-awful reason. Snuka is, in fact, announced as the mystery partner. 53 years old at this point. Doesn't look a day under 70. Jesus, why was he in this match? Now, I get it. They're in Madison Square Garden, and I get it. Like, 30 years prior to this, he jumped off the top of a cage. And it wasn't 30 years, but you know what I mean. But still, why? Also, I understand they need a cool-down match between Austin versus Brett in the main event, but still, yikes. So I have some quick notes. Uh, Number one, Flash Funk, very impressive. Yokozuna is, I'm not kidding, pushing 700 pounds. And Snooker, Snooker, looks flabbier than Jericho in 2021. Uh, Savio gets eliminated after a jackknife. Superfly hits a crappy flying splash on Razor to get him eliminated. So Diesel grabs a chair and hits Snuka, and then Savio comes back down to the ring, and he's got a chair, and everybody's brawling, and the ref throws the match out. That's right, folks. This match, this elimination match, has no winner. It's ruled a no contest. I don't think I've ever seen a a Survivor Series match where they just threw the whole thing out after two eliminations. Also, how much of a jobber do you have to be? The goal of the match is to throw the whole thing out, you know, like real life-wise. But they still have you take a pin. Looking at you, fake razor. And not only that, if you want to kill time between Austin and Brett and the main event, dude, give me a promo segment. I'd rather have Farouk out here, you know, bragging about his new nation than this shit. It was fucking pointless. (sighs) But it's done. And we get a video package for our world title match. And it is now time. For the WWF Championship. Match number six, Psycho Sid 
versus the WWF champion Shawn Michaels. Sid comes out first, and New York City gives him a decent pop. I can't say I blame him. Sid has done nothing but beat the fuck out of people the past two or three months. Uh, to HBK's credit, his reaction is loud. But like we used to say with John Cena, you can tell the specific fans that are going crazy for HBK are mostly women and children. Admittedly, I was a huge Shawn Michaels mark. I had been since 92, I think. Well, even the Rockers. I like the Rockers, too. Um, partly, I was a mark for Shawn Michaels because I thought it was so cool how many traditionalists hated him. You know, he was brash, he was cocky, he was arrogant, even as a face. But I have to be the first one to admit that his 1996 WWF title run was a little underwhelming. Partially in part to Jose Lothario. Not Jose Lothario's fault, but Shawn Michaels didn't need a fucking manager. Especially one that didn't really speak English. Let's shoot. What does Sean need Jose at ringside for? He's not going to cut a promo. New York seems to feel the same way. We get a very loud but very mixed reaction for Sean throughout the match. Not so much for Sid, but when Sean is on offense, we get loud boos and loud cheers. The match is your typical 1996 Shawn Michaels match. He bumps his ass off for his opponent. He gets the shit kicked out of him. Some spots may be a little too much. Uh, for example, at one point, Sean comes off the top rope with, you know, classic double axe handle to a guy who's laying on the ground. Sid gets his boot up. Sean's face hits the boot. And Sean not only flatbacks, but then oversells it so much that after he flatbacks, he actually does a headstand and lands on his stomach. Similar to where, uh, years later, Rock would do his sell of the stunner, where he would go, like, up and over. It's, it's comical. It's Shawn Michaels. I mean, what do you expect? Uh, Sid actually catches a Sweet Chin music attempt, which I was like, oh, shit. Uh, he turns this into a one-handed choke slam. Crowd pops huge for that. Sid sets up HBK for the powerbomb, but Michaels counters into a small package for a two-count. Sid and Sean then fight back and forth and end up in opposite corners. Sid reaches down and snatches one of the ringside cameras. It's at this point that Jose Lothario jumps up on the ring apron in protest, and Sid turns around and blasts the camera into Jose's chest. Why... Jose was on the ring apron. I still do not know. And also, the fact that Earl Hebner was playing blind this entire time was a little bit much. Um, crowd actually reacts to Jose getting hit in the chest, which is kind of sadistic. Now, again, I, bl I blame, I blame Lothario and Kayfabe. If he had stayed on the fucking ground, he never would have got hit in the chest with a goddamn, uh, ringside camera. Remember, kids, if Drew Gulak taught us anything, it's feet on the ground, safe and sound. After the camera shot, Sid turns and HBK hits switch, switch in music. 
But HBK can't capitalize because Jose is going into cardiac arrest, allegedly. So instead of trying to cover him, Michaels tries to check on Jose, but Sid comes out there and throws him back in the ring. Sean tries to come off the top rope with a crossbody, but Sid ducks and Sean takes out Earl Hebner. Since Earl is down, I guess Sean figures, well, fuck this, and he goes back outside again to check on Jose. And while Earl's down, Sid grabs that same camera and uses this opportunity to crack Michaels in the back of the head. He tosses Sean back in the ring, he delivers a vicious powerbomb, and he covers just as Earl Hebner starts to come back around. One, two, and in classic Earl Hebner fashion, gotta draw it out, three. Sid, Psycho Sid, is the new World Wrestling Federation champion. And Madison Square Garden pops loudly. In fact, on the hard cam, our old friend Vlad the Superfan lifts his arm and exclaims, Yes! Michaels barely sells the powerbomb before crawling to the outside to check on Jose. Finally, the EMTs are on site, and they get Jose on a stretcher. Sid celebrates in the ring as they wheel Jose to the back. Sid screams at MSG, who's the man? Sid then gives high fives and handshakes at ringside, which is weird because he's the heel. And he even pulls Vlad in for a hug. Are you kidding me? What the? Nice heel champ. Give me a hug, Vlad. Anyway, well, I got to say, this Survivor Series was way fucking better than 95. Holy shit. By a mile. A lot of drama, a lot of action. A blue chipper becomes the sole survivor. A classic between Bret Hart and Steve Austin. And the crowning of a new World Wrestling Federation champion, Psycho Sid. Uh, this one was definitely fun, which is more than what I can say for next Survivors series. Speaking of our next episode of Survivor series... We journey to Montreal, where I will have a very special guest with me to cover one of the most infamous Survivor Series in WWF history, Survivor Series 1997. Who will that special guest be? Who is joining me to talk about the Montreal Screwjob? Well, it's going to be Adam. Yes, Adam, as he has self-described himself, Adam, that one. <laughs> so I look forward to that, and I look forward to um, our takes on the conspiracy theories surrounding the quote-unquote Montreal screw job. But from now till then, listen, if you dare, but survive. I watch you.
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You have been listening to a Rundown Wrestling Network production. Please visit rundownwrestling.com for all of our shows, as well as our other special events. Keep it locked there, or subscribe to the Rundown Wrestling Network on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast, Stitcher Premium, or anywhere you get your podcast from. Leave us a voice message that we will play on an episode by going to anchor.fm slash rundownwrestling slash message. Join our Patreon at patreon.com slash rundownwrestling. You can show us how much you love us by buying us a cup of coffee for just one buck at ko-fi.com slash rundownwrestling. Go to reddit.com slash r slash rundownwrestling. Follow us on Twitter at rundownnetwork. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash rundownwrestling. Email the show your dick pics and twat shots via rundownwrestling at gmail.com or go to Instagram or YouTube and look for Rundown Wrestling. Follow us on Twitch by going to twitch.tv slash rundownwrestling and you can also follow our host Adam on twitch.tv slash the saleser effect. This has been a Rundown Wrestling Network production.